pro-abortion activists perform a demonic liturgy outside a New York abortion center while pro-life Christians pray in sidewalk council. Then the youngest surviving preemie, born at 21 weeks and two days, celebrates his first birthday. And Joy Behar of The View unintentionally admits that pro-lifers are right and that some truths are self-evident. We will wield these self-evident truths to discredit, debunk, and destroy the abortion rights movement. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this will be, I think, a very helpful episode um, for you and for those in your lives um, who are pro-choice, but maybe they're not sort of the cheerleader types for the abortion industry. We all have these people in our lives. They're kind of like, eh, I think abortion should be a woman's right. I don't want to tell her what to do. But I mean, you know, I don't really like third trimester abortions. I'm sure you know plenty of people like that. And, and the Gallup polling bears that out. Only about 12 or 13% of the American public actually supports the legality of third trimester abortion. So most people are somewhere in the middle. They don't want to ban abortion but uh, completely, but they would like to ban it maybe when the baby can survive outside the womb and be born alive. And that's, this is because some truths really are self-evident. Um, and so the goal of the modern left and the abortion rights movement, which is just sort of an arm of the leftist movement, has been to suppress this reality, has been to ensure that these self-evident truths are not reached to the American public, are not articulated carefully and persuasively, because it might resonate with people's moral intuitions. And this goes right back to our founding documents that our Founders said, well, kind of hold these truths to be self-evident. That means axiomatic, kind of a uh, duh, obvious, that uh, human beings are created in the image of God, that God gives them natural rights to life, liberty, and property, that these are inalienable rights, so they can't be taken from us. And that's the language of our founding fathers, self-evident. Well, I'm going to contend that pro-life beliefs are just that, self-evident, and that as much as they try to, the left can't help but sometimes acknowledge those self-evident realities. But before we dive into that today, if you enjoy this show, go ahead and give us a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. And uh, we, I'm sensing, as I think you probably are, that we're in a very propitious moment in this country. That if we don't stand up for these natural rights, which begin with life, then the rest of this country is going to go to the dogs. Um, and in this case, that would be the Democratic Party, the secular progressive movement, that is quite honest that they hate this country. They hate our founding fathers, and they hate the founding ideals and premises that built this republic, um, without which none of our other rights can be protected. And so there's an uprising. You've seen it. You sense it. Uh, and we need to stand in this moment, which makes shows like this all that more important to reach people with those self-evident truths. So leave us a rating and review. Share this with someone you know. It really helps us. So if you ever needed proof that abortion is demonic, look no further than this demonic liturgy, which was just performed by three abortion-crazed loons outside of an abortion clinic in New York. So on June 19th, some abortion-loving kooks showed up in Brooklyn, New York, where Russian Orthodox pro-lifers were leading a prayer service and holding pro-life signs depicting the horror of abortion in order to encourage women to not kill their children, to offer them help, and to pray outside of these death camps. And then these three pro-abortion activists, there was two men and, and a woman, show up. They're wearing diapers. They're wrapped in duct tape. They had 
attached dismembered baby dolls onto their bodies, and then they began performing some type of flash mob, some type of demonic revulsive dance. Um, and there's really nothing I can say beyond that to drive the point home, so just go ahead and watch this short clip. Well, a healthy society, folks, would um, put those people in a mental institution and remove them from polite society. There's something clearly wrong with these individuals. And it's, it's hard to really put words to something quite that disturbing, but I, I think it strikes at these sort of self-evident premises that we acknowledge, that we all know these unborn children are indeed human beings. Um, and the fact that they're showing up dressed as babies and wearing dismembered baby dolls on their body kind of tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it? That obviously these people know that the unborn child is a human being and a baby. But that sacrosanct, that sacred right to kill your own unborn child cannot be taken away, cannot be compromised, cannot be regulated. Women must have the right to kill their children through all nine months of pregnancy, perhaps even a little after if you're a senator in today's Democratic Party that won't vote for anti-infanticide bills, because that is utopia. That is self-realization. That is sexual liberty or freedom. Deeply disturbing stuff obviously strikes at the spiritual realm that is so present in the battle over abortion. These people are more concerned with the right to abortion than really any other right that the left claims is a right. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed how the left and the progressive movement have worked themselves up into frenzies every time the fictional right to an abortion is compromised? What was the talking points? What was the frenzy? What was the fear every time a Supreme Court seat or vacancy opened up during President Trump's administration. Happened three times, as you recall. The left lost their ever-loving minds. Every op-ed, every leftist podcast, every CNN news anchor, what were they talking about? Roe versus Wade might be overturned now. The Republicans are gonna end abortion. Interesting how they so quickly go to abortion anytime their grip on political power is threatened. That doesn't tell you how much they care about abortion. I don't know what will. That really is the most sacrosanct right to the secular progressive movement. And this demonic flash mob portrays that. But did you hear what one of the demonic dancers was saying? He was saying, break the chains. Did you hear that? And if you guys just watch the show, go subscribe over at YouTube. You don't want to miss this media. It's disturbing, but you really need to see it. Break the chains, he's saying. There is an entire religion and worldview wrapped up in those three words. Break 
the chains. And if you're a Protestant or evangelical, you probably know the popular song, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. But that type of language is also echoed in scripture. Obviously, the Bible speaks of breaking chains and bonds, right? Of freeing the captives, of liberating the oppressed. That language is all throughout the Old and New Testament. And then Christ comes and preaches that he is actually not here to break the chains of Roman rule. He's not here to free the Israelites from the bondage of captivity. He's here to break the chains of sin, right? He is here to bring freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. And while sin is systemic, right, and we, we inherit a sinful nature from Adam, Sin is also individual, right? Each person chooses himself or herself before God and worships the creature rather than the creator. Those are all individual choices for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We made that choice. We made that decision. Sin is individual as well. So for the Christian, breaking the chains means accepting Christ's victory over sin through his sacrifice on Calvary and his gift of new life which then frees us, right, to reject sin and self, which is our own God, and choose the God, Yahweh, the only God. So breaking the chains doesn't mean breaking down all that prevents us from pursuing any and every desire or vice. Breaking the chains doesn't mean no limits, no boundaries, I, can, I got freedom, baby, to live however I want. No, it means freely choosing Christ over sin because we're no longer in bondage to sin. But when these demonic worshipers say, break the chains, right? They mean quite the opposite, don't they? For them, sin is not oppression. Sin is not bondage. Sin is freedom, right? That, that's the inverted reality of the left. Sin itself and the freedom to choose sin, unregulated, without boundaries, without restraints, is the sort of utopia of the modern left. Choice, the centerpiece of secular progressivism, must be protected with religious zeal. Therefore, anything that restricts choice is actually itself bondage in the lexicon of the left. So we must break the chain of restraint and of boundaries. Then we will be free, right? Ever heard the left or the pro-abortion movement talk about, quote, those oppressive pro-life laws. Have you heard that language? That pro-life laws are oppressive, but they're saying don't kill babies. Yeah, that's oppressive. That's how they view it, right? They believe that anything that restrains bodily autonomy is oppressive. Ironically, bodily autonomy to the left is actually just a euphemism for oppressing unborn babies. Abortion is an act of oppression. It's probably the worst kind. It's where you actually kill someone, an innocent human being. But, but they call that oppression freedom. And then they call laws that restrict that oppression on the unborn oppressive, right? Choice is the centerpiece of the secular progressive movement. Any and all choices, unregulated, unrestrained, that's true freedom. So let me ask you something. When you think of freedom, of someone truly free, do you picture a meth head? Do you picture an alcoholic? How about a porn addict, a sex addict? They have no restraints, right? <laughs> no boundaries, baby. Every choice is on the table. Are their chains broken? No, I think we'd say quite the opposite. They're in fact the most uh, chained up individuals. They're the most in bondage of all. 
they can't say no to the thing that they're in bondage to. That's not freedom. Freedom is not the permission to do what you like. It's the power to do what you ought to do. And that's why our founding fathers founded this country, right? It was for the liberty, right, to make the right choices, to worship God as they ought to, and not being restrained from that liberty by an oppressive government that attacks that freedom. But ought, ought to do something, ought implies an objective standard, right? That there are some things you ought to do and there are some things you ought not to do. But if there are oughts and nots, then there must also be one who determines such an objective standard. Now, whether these abortion worshipers realize it or not, they're just replaying Genesis 3 over and over and over again. This is, the, this is the lie from the very beginning, right? This was the fall of mankind. This is systemic sin. This is where the whole experiment that was supposed to be perfect, us worshiping God freely, us living forever, all came tumbling down. And, and, and the, the person who opposes God and, and makes himself their own God is just replaying Genesis 3 over and over again. God says, don't eat the fruit, right? Lest you die. The serpent says, but did God, did God really say that? You won't die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then ye shall be as gods. Wow. So God's holding out on you, right? <laughs> His laws are holding you back. Don't eat the fruit. Don't touch that. Don't do that. Why are you so oppressive, God? He's trying to hold you back, says the serpent. He's holding you back from true freedom, from true enlightenment. So if you want it, take it. If it feels good, do it, right? That's true freedom. Then you'll be as gods, knowing right and wrong. God doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding out on you. That's why he puts restraints and boundaries on you. Rather than the sort of American tradition or the Christian tradition, which is that it's the wise restraints that make men free. The professional pianist can only play so freely because he's working within a set of rules that he's worked very hard to learn over a long period of time. So Cardinal Manning, very popular for saying that all human conflict is ultimately theological. This demonic dance, this demonic liturgy celebrating abortion is, is really just spiritual warfare. All political issues, all moral considerations in this republic, all these ideas that we debate in the public square, really just come back to religious disagreements, to foundational religious premises. And this is because eternity is written on the heart of man. So all moral or political conflict is ultimately theological conflict, right? There's another realm that, that really is reality itself. God, the divine logos of the universe versus Satan and his minions. This is the spiritual war happening all around us that gets played out through the moral, political, and social arena. But all human conflict is ultimately theological because without an objective standard, God himself, then man can do whatever he wants. With an objective standard, God himself, there are certain things you ought to do and ought not to do. But without an objective being, there is no such thing as objective truth, in which case might makes right. At the end of the day, every political disagreement comes down to a religious disagreement. Because without God, we are gods. And if we're gods, then anything goes, right? Might makes right, even if we have to kill innocent human beings. But eternity is written on the heart of man. Reality, be it moral realities or spiritual realities, 
are self-evident, aren't they? They are self-evident. And these Moloch worshipers made that quite clear that these truths are self-evident. How do we know that? Would, let me ask you a question. Would opposition to appendectomies, right, removing your appendix, would, would a bunch of people opposing appendectomies elicit the same response from secular progressives? Right? Would, they, would they come up there dressed up as appendixes and chant, break the chains, <laughs> my appendix, my choice? No, of course not. Right? Of course they wouldn't do that. The only reason they respond in this way is because it's a baby, it's a little human being. And defending something as heinous as that, as obviously wrong as that, requires such a zealous response. But of course, no one would actually oppose appendectomies, and anyone who did oppose appendectomies and launch a movement to make it illegal would be labeled mentally unstable, and everyone else would laugh at them. They wouldn't show up in this religious, zealous manner to defend appendectomies. We only do that to oppose self-evident truths, such as babies are babies, and human beings should not be killed. The only reason there is a pro-life movement, and the only reason why abortion worshipers are so zealous to protect the right to kill babies is because we all know it's a baby, right? For goodness sake, they're wearing babies on their bodies. They're wearing baby dolls on their bodies. They obviously know that this is a baby. The problem with self-evident truth, though, is that while secular progressives can't help but admit them, that's what makes them self-evident. They must also hide them from the American public. They have, to, they have to simultaneously hide self-evident truths and pretend that they're not self-evident. And nowhere has the suppression of self-evident truths been more clear than in the culture's treatment of preemies, right? The prematurely born babies. And we're going to get to that next. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars and the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and become a patron of the show. Check out our cool tiers here. You get some perks for supporting the show. It's just a crowdfunding platform. You got energetic embryos, zealous zygote, sassy since conception. That's my favorite. Pro-life apologist, bane of choice, and many more. And I will be planning some interactive sidewalk uh, content here in the fall, and uh, we want to have a little team that can record all that, post-produce it, and create more viral-friendly content on YouTube, where people get to see these ideas played out in a conversational format like so many people enjoy. It gives them tools to defend life, and you know, you get to see these pro-abortion arguments get owned, but in a gracious manner, and that really helps bless people. It helps change minds and change hearts. That's what you help us do when you become a patron of the show. Patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Thanks so much, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. The reality of prematurely born babies and the reality that we tend to try to save their lives implodes the very foundational premises of choice and of the pro-abortion worldview. And preemies really do strike at the self-evident truth that is the topic of today's show. So baby Richard born at 21 weeks and two days, just celebrated his first birthday, according to the live action news on June 21st. The world's most premature baby, according to Guinness World Records, has just celebrated his first birthday after being born five months early. CNN featured Richard Scott William Hutchinson's story, but of course CNN neglected to mention the fact that he was born at 21 weeks and two days and survived. Even as the U.S. Supreme Court weighs the question of viability as it relates to abortion, Richard weighed only 11.9 ounces at birth, a fraction less than a can 
of soda. An incredible story, and look at this cute little boy, just beautiful. And of course, CNN and even the Washington Post actually published photos of baby Richard shortly after he was born, and then in his months in the hospital, and then after he went home, which sort of makes you wonder why they care so much to cover the humanity and dignity of children at a certain stage of development because they were wanted, but not when they were unwanted. And here is a photo of baby Richard, CNN published in their piece shortly after birth. It even says there, Richard in the hospital shortly after his birth. So this would have been maybe a day or two after he was born, meaning 21 weeks and three or four days. Um, and yet I guess CNN loves to celebrate that tiny little uh, intrinsically valuable image bearer of God because he was wanted. CNN says, the day Richard was discharged from the NICU was such a special day. I remember picking him up out of his crib and just holding him with tears in my eyes, said Dr. Stacy Kern, a neonatologist at Children's Minnesota Hospital. So this is the woman who helped save this baby's life. And she says, I couldn't believe this was the same little boy that was once so sick that I feared he may not survive. The same little boy that once fit in the palm of my hand with skin so translucent that I could see every rib and vessel in his tiny body. I couldn't help but squeeze him and tell him how proud I was of him. Now, obviously, Dr. Stacy Kern, praise God for this neonatologist, like many individuals in hospitals where babies are born before, let's say, 24 weeks, you read these horror stories of families begging the doctors to try to save their baby and child, and they just shrug their shoulders and say, your baby doesn't meet my BS definition of viability. Viability being when you can survive outside the womb, so I'm sorry, baby. You know, that's just science for you. It's just my science, man. The problem is, is that the science always changes if you haven't learned that in the last 18 months. And the science of the viability of when the baby can survive outside the womb always changes given medical advancements. And the more we learn about how truly um, beautiful and powerful human life is, how resilient these little babies are, and with support can survive even when born at very early stages in their development, a stage at which just a few years ago, certainly decades ago, we could not save these children at all. But there's CNN's coverage of that. Isn't that just beautiful? Just giving beautiful coverage and room for people to talk about the beauty of this child that they saved. Something tells me they wouldn't publish a piece about pro-lifers saving babies in the second or third trimester after their mothers rejected abortion and having pro-lifers talk to CNN about how wonderful it is to hold this baby whose mothers had an appointment to kill him, but thank God for pro-lifers who were outside on the sidewalk that day. Far from that reality, CNN and these um, sort of journalistic prostitutes for the abortion industry always put the most negative type of coverage forward in terms of pro-life activism and sidewalk counseling outside of centers that kill babies at the same stage and older than baby Richard. But you see, baby Richard was wanted, right? The Washington Post says, while Richard's health was in the balance, the family and neonatal intensive care unit team remained dedicated to him. Everything he's gone through in his short little life, I couldn't imagine going through that, said his dad, but he did it and he's truly my hero. That was the final line of Wapo's piece, giving the dad room to say that this baby, his son was his hero and he couldn't imagine everything he went through his short little life. Well, a lot of that segment of his short little life was in a NICU at a stage of development at which every other baby in the womb of the same age could be legally killed at the request of their mothers and at the hands of quote unquote physicians. So here's a question you're probably dying for me to ask and that you're dying to ask the abortion industry, and that's this. How was baby Richard's life 
worth fighting for, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to save, but a baby at Richard's age and much older can be legally killed for the crime of being unwanted by their parents. This is the insanity of choice. And this graphic I want to show you guys perfectly depicts the insanity of choice. A 24-week-old baby who was wanted and being cared for heroically in a NICU by neonatal professionals and doctors, and a 24-week baby at the same age who's dead after being murdered through an abortion because he or she was unwanted. Isn't that unfortunate? Or to quote Adolf Hitler, Untermensch, life unworthy of life. You see, the wanted baby was deemed worthy of life by his or her parents, but the unwanted baby was deemed not worthy of life by his or her parents. So you see, your dignity and right to life, which is a natural right that springs from your human nature, is actually not so natural, is it? It can actually be given to you and it can be taken away by your parents. If they, in the firing of their neurons in their brain, decide that you're not wanted. Now, of course, this is asinine. This is stupid, ridiculous, and bigoted. Because how could one's natural right purely be dependent on the psychological state of their parents' minds? <laughs> so if I were to show you baby Richard in the womb and another baby in the womb at the same stage of development, baby Richard was about to be born prematurely and the hospital would work heroically to save his life. But this baby's death was a, a scheduled on the calendar at the local abortion clinic by his parents. Tell me, which one is more valuable than the other? Tell me, which one has a right to life and which one doesn't? Of course, these are the self-evident truths that you're not supposed to say, that you can't challenge the abortion industry to ask because they're self-evident. And it's a truth slap right across your face and throwing your bigotry to Timbuktu. Well, that's the question you're not supposed to ask. And in fact, many hospitals across our country will heroically work to save the lives of prematurely born babies in one wing of the hospital, while at the same moment, they will work to actively kill babies at that same stage and age through abortion in another wing. Why? Well, the former is very much wanted and the latter isn't. So if your mom happens to think, I want baby, you're good, but if your mother happens to think, I don't want baby, I guess your natural right to life was just taken from you. It's, it's just wild. It's almost like a religious dogma. Yes, of course. It is Gnostic. It is special knowledge. It is strange, isn't it? Because secular progressivism is not a rival politics, it's a rival religion whose greatest sacrament is human sacrifice or abortion. Even our mainstream media outlets, which serve at the beck and call of the abortion industry, who are journalistic prostitutes for the culture of death, can't help but cover baby Richard's life, huh? They can't help but cover his story with celebration. Washington Post is probably the most mainstream leftist news organization, and they can't help but celebrate his life and victory over death. Why? Because it's self-evident that human beings have intrinsic dignity, value, and worth and ought to be protected. And that the most vulnerable and needy human beings amongst us are the most deserving of our care and protection, right? As Mother Teresa once said, we as a society will be judged by how we treat the most vulnerable, the needy among us. So secular progressives can't help but admit that baby Richard is a baby and was a baby when he was born at 21 weeks and two days, the same stage of development and later at which that same journalistic organization and the entire culture of death will call his slaughter reproductive justice. But at the same time, they must also hide the reality 
of late-term abortions which target children at the same age as baby Richard. They must hide that reality from the American public and pretend that self-evident truths that they just acknowledged in baby Richard's case, that babies are babies, is no longer that self-evident. And this is why you'll hear Democrats in abortion talking heads say things like this. Have you heard this? Late-term abortions are a Republican talking point. <laughs> you heard this? They say, those don't happen. Those don't happen. And in the rare cases that they do happen, it's only done because the doctor had to perform a late-term abortion to save mom's life. No, of course, they always just, they are just contradicted themselves, right? These never happen, but when they do, oh, so they do happen sometimes, but they, you'll, you'll notice that the mainstream media, the Democratic Party, the abortion industry, they never like to talk about late-term abortions because they know that it's incredibly grisly, that it turns off large segments of the American public. But they say that, you know, it's so rare and the only time it does happen is to save the life of the mother. That's actually a lie. That's actually a lie. According to a Guttmacher Institute article in the journal Perspectives on Sexual and Reproductive Health, from 2013, and I'll quote verbatim. By the way, Guttmacher Institute is Planned Parenthood's statistical research branch. They said, quote, data suggests that most women, most women seeking later terminations, late-term abortions, are not doing so for reasons of fetal anomaly or life endangerment. What's that mean? It means that the vast majority of late-term abortions are not being sought by the mothers because the baby's not chromosomally or physically perfect, which is eugenics, and it's not being sought after because mom's life is endangered and she'll die if she continues the pregnancy. It's just being sought after because she wants the abortion. She's not gonna die, there's nothing wrong with the baby, she just probably waited too long, couldn't decide, and now she needs a late-term abortion. So one of the largest research organizations on the left and in the abortion industry, Guttmacher Institute, says that the statements from their own high priests that late-term abortions never happen, and when they do happen, it's to save the life of the mother, is false. But they can't cover or acknowledge the horror of these late-term abortions, which according to the Guttmacher Institute is about 1.3% late-term abortions. About those of the 20 weeks and later would be kind of defined as a late-term abortion. 1.3%. Well, if you kill a million or more babies a year through abortion, then that means that roughly 13,000 babies are killed every year in America after 20 weeks. So when you kill a million babies a year, um, small percentages represent actually very large numbers, don't they? 1.3%, that's such a minority. But 13,000 human beings is a lot of human beings to be murdered by abortion in the late term when the vast majority of those babies could have survived outside the womb like baby Richard if they were given support and everything that the hospital can provide to save their lives. So at the same time that these journalistic prostitutes for the abortion industry and the party of death and the abortion industry acknowledge self-evident truths, praise God for baby Richard who fought and is alive today, will turn around and refuse to cover the reality that 13,000 babies roughly a year at baby Richard's stage of development and later are murdered. Because if you humanize the 20 week plus unborn child, you're forced to acknowledge the self-evident truth that is obviously a human being. This is obviously a human. So the question becomes, if you acknowledge the humanity of late term babies, when did this baby become a human being? <laughs> and if you ask that question, there you go, right down the path to row. Roe versus Wade, there you go, right down to questioning the foundational premises of the Supreme Court decision that, like Dred Scott, ripped the term human from person apart and said not all humans are persons. 
And if we define them as non-persons, we can justify treating them however we want. So our political elites and journalistic betters who stump for the right to kill babies know that babies are babies. They know that they're human beings, but they must repress that self-evident truth from reaching the minds and hearts of Americans. And so they must resort to the tried and true strategy of the Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels, who actually coined the term fake news, who defined fake news as following. He said, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. <laughs> he says the lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and military consequences of the lie. You must shield people from the consequence of realizing that this lie is BS because then they'll recognize self-evident truth. He says, it thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent for truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. Notice, notice Joseph Goebbels calls it truth and he calls what he's doing lies because he knows that the truth that Jews are persons is self-evident. Just like our abortion industry and the Democratic Party, which is the political prostitutes of the abortion industry, know that unborn children are human beings. They know that that's self-evident, but they must repress it, as Joseph Goebbels says, to shield Americans from the consequences of realizing their lies, which would be to reject their lies, to realize that the consequence is that they're endangering their own rights, for if a government can deny natural rights to some, namely unborn human beings, why can't they deny natural rights to anyone else? And then they might all become pro-life and then Roe versus Wade, which is the sacrosanct right of the religion of secular progressivism, the greatest sacrament of secular liberalism. Well, if you acknowledge the self-evident truths, your entire political agenda implodes. But they know that it's the truth. So to drive home the topic of today's show, that pro-life truths are self-evident, and that even the defenders of abortion can't help but admit that the unborn baby is a human being, look no further than the ABC's The View. I know you wouldn't think to get conservative truths from there. But first, if you want to enjoy this show visually, to see me, to see the media that we show on this show so you can enjoy it to the fullest extent, head on over to YouTube and subscribe to the show and my channel, Seth Gruber, A Voice for the Unborn. Make sure you hit subscribe and click the notification bell so you don't miss a single video. As long as I can continue to fly under the radar of the technocrats at Google, we want to reach as many people as possible on the second largest search engine in the world, YouTube. And of course, with your help, if you become a patron, begin creating more viral friendly content on the streets to challenge the bigotry of choice. So go on out over there, head over and subscribe. It really helps us reach more people and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Well, if you ever watch The View from ABC, which I don't recommend, perhaps you think that the only truth that comes from that show comes from the lips of Meghan McCain, the only sort of semi-conservative on the show. Um, however, the truth actually came from Joy Behar, who accidentally admitted that abortion kills human beings. Oops, because reality tends to be self-evident, right? This is the great conservative consolation, the great pro-life consolation, is that reality always reasserts itself in the end, and it slaps us in the face 
because it's kind of self-evident. And you'll notice people like Joy Behar and others sometimes who kind of sometimes let reality slip, right? They say something that they can't help but saying because that's what makes self-evident things self-evident. You can't help but acknowledge them. And then they are like, oops, they have to backtrack, right? Or sometimes they're shown it later by one of their friends and said, dude, why are you agreeing with the right? right? Oops, because it's self-evident. Well, she did this recently. Last month, Meghan McCain blasted President Biden regarding his inconsistency between his alleged Catholic beliefs and his creepy love of abortion. And as the only conservative on The View, nearly anything Meghan McCain says is meticulously attacked by every other member of the show. So rather than telling you what she said, here was Joy Behar's reply to Meghan McCain. Well, I wanted to clear one thing up, or not clear it up, but just make an uh, important point here, is that uh, some people believe that the death penalty is also uh, government-sanctioned murder. And a lot of the people who believe in the death penalty do not believe in abortion. So there's a rather inconsistent um, uh, thing right there. I personally am pro-choice, and under certain circumstances, I believe in the death penalty. So I am very consistent. Um, here's the thing about... So I don't know if you caught that. Let me break it down. If you did, you're probably chuckling to yourself in your car right now. Pretty hilarious what she just admitted there. So she's saying, right, that there are many people who support the death penalty but don't support abortion. To quote her, she says, right, that lots of people who believe in the death penalty do not believe in abortion. So there's a rather inconsistent thing right there. So if you support the death penalty but you don't support abortion, you're inconsistent. So she says, I personally am pro-choice. So I do support abortion, she's saying. And under certain circumstances, I also support the death penalty. So I'm very consistent. Interesting, Joy. So it's inconsistent to support the death penalty, which would be killing murderers and guilty human beings, um, but then not supporting killing innocent unborn human beings. Translation, what Joy Behar is saying is some people support killing guilty murderers and don't support killing innocent human beings. So there's a rather inconsistent thing right there. I personally support killing innocent human beings and under certain circumstances I believe in killing guilty murderers as well. So I'm very consistent. <laughs> that would be the translation of that because saying you're pro-choice is just saying you support killing innocent human beings because the unborn child is a human being and they're innocent. Bottom line, what Joy Behar is saying is that innocent unborn children can always be killed, but guilty murderers um, shouldn't always be killed. <laughs> she said, and under certain circumstances, I support the death penalty, she says, so I'm very consistent, which means under other circumstances, you don't support the death penalty. So guilty murderers shouldn't always be killed, but innocent unborn babies should definitely always be killed. Wow, so I, I, I guess you're consistent? That's, that's very strange. Now, the self-evident truth that Joy Behar accidentally acknowledges here when she agrees with pro-lifers that abortion kills human beings is that both the person on death row and the child in the womb is a human being. Now, obviously, it's a different circumstance, and I do support the death penalty. It's not the same thing. Killing murderers who deserve capital punishment for their crimes is not the same thing as killing innocent human beings. Nobody snuck an AK-47 into the womb, okay? The baby's not killing you. It's not the same thing at all. But it's interesting that in her admission that she might be inconsistent, 
to, to support the death penalty and not abortion, she's actually kind of admitting that they're both human beings. Because if the unborn child isn't a human being, if they're not a human being, if they're just cells, blobs of tissue, not a human being, then Joy Behar would never even compare the two, right? That would be a strange thing to say. It would be like saying like, you know, it's very inconsistent of me to support the death penalty but not support appendectomies. What do you say? <laughs> that made, made no sense, right? It's very inconsistent of me to support the death penalty, but not support colonoscopies. And what does the left tell us? That abortion is, is the moral equivalent of an appendectomy. That's their claim. They say it's reproductive health care, and that whatever's in the womb has no rights and is not a person, is not a human being. So the only way for her to compare the two would be to assume that both are human beings. The only reason she can even conceive to compare the two in her mind is because she knows the unborn child is just that, a child, a human being. So Joy Behar's claims of her own consistency, her own consistency, her support for both abortion and the death penalty is an acknowledgement that ultimately she knows both of these actions and the lives of human beings. Now, one's guilty and one's innocent, but if it's okay or if it's wrong to kill the guilty murderer in some circumstances, then it's certainly always wrong to kill the innocent human being under all circumstances because they've done nothing to deserve the death penalty that you support for guilty criminals. So Joy Behar accidentally admitting the self-evident truth, the foundational fundamental claim of the pro-life movement, which is that the unborn child is indeed a human being. And if you believe in human rights, these objective things, these natural rights that we have simply because we are human, then you would have the natural right to life from the moment you are human, and there is no Gnostic, mystical line at which you become a human being in the womb. You become a human when you become a human, and the science says that you became a human from the moment of conception. That's the self-evident truths that will come home to roost one day or another, and this is the great consolation. Reality will always reassert itself in the end, and so if you're listening to the show to get equipped to be pro-life, you indeed are on the right side of history, and we will be judged by our children, our great-grandchildren, as to how we acted and lived in the midst of a genocide that killed 63 million unborn children since 1973 and continues to slaughter them at the tune of a million a year. If you want to be on the right side of history, if you want to acknowledge reality, if you want to welcome reality home as the long-lost friend that he or she is, become pro-life. Share this episode with someone you know. Challenge their fundamental premises and their embrace of self-evident truths like celebrating baby Richard, <laughs> like celebrating um, the reality that human beings begin at the moment of conception and challenge them to embrace the pro-life position, to become pro-life, and to defend the rights of every unborn child, of which we all once were. Or to quote Ronald Reagan, I've noticed everyone who's for abortion has already been born. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Head on over to Spotify, YouTube, and iTunes. Give the show a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter, uh, to view my speaking schedule if you want to hear me speak live and local, or to book me for an event as my fall calendar is filling up quick. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Mm -hmm.
Bye.